Hey everyone, this is Cameron Cole. I'm the Director of Children, Youth, and Family at the Cathedral Church of the Advent. And this is our podcast uh, class about gospel-centered ministry to our kids. And so you know, we have these podcast classes at different points along the way. And for a lot of people, maybe this class happens when your child is coming out of the nursery. But quite honestly, this is a, this is a class that's going to be relevant for any, any grade level, because basically what we're going to talk about is our philosophy of ministry. And we'll break this down into six podcast episodes, with five of them being pretty darn short, uh, this first one maybe being a little bit on the longer end. But there's a workbook that goes with this class to help you go through it. And our aim here is to help you understand what our mission and vision is for the kids and our youth and our, and our children's ministry, our youth ministry and our nursery, um, and what our, what our vision is for our families. And, um, and to, to, to basically see how you can reinforce and supplement and further um, what we're trying to do. And so a term that we're going to use a lot of is gospel-centered, gospel-centered ministry. And so uh, what we mean by that is basically that we are thinking about everything we do in ministry through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of what... Uh, through what uh, Jesus did and his life and his death and his, and his resurrection and the message and the truth and reality that flows out of what Christ did. And so we, we think about that, how the gospel influences everything in terms of how we relate to and minister to and encourage our kids and our families. And so to this first episode, I want to talk about really the concrete mission um, of our ministry to, to children and youth. And that is to make disciples, um, to form kids who have a sustainable, lasting relationship with Christ. And so I first I'm going to talk about the Great Commission a little bit, um, but then I'm going to talk about the historic context that we're operating in here in terms of the spiritual lives of young people. Because I think that when you understand what has gone on and the, the kind of crisis that we have in the spiritual lives of young people in the United States over, uh, over the last uh, you know, 20, 30 years in particular, you start to understand a little better why we do the things we do. And so I want to start here with the Great Commission. And this is the, the end of Matthew. It's Matthew 28, um, 18 through 20. And you know, I'm just going to read. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So Jesus here, um, he gives these marching orders in, in verse 19 where he says, Make disciples of all nations. And so in this, in this uh, verse, you know, you've got four verbs, make disciples, go baptizing and uh, teaching. And so really what you see here is that the governing verb of this text is make disciples and then go baptize and teaching are all subordinate participles that are kind of modifying or are 
describing or giving greater detail on what making disciples looks like. And so what I want to really focus on here is the make disciples part. Um, making a disciple is, 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 is uh, ministering to a person in such a way with the intent that they are going to have a lasting, sustainable relationship with Jesus for their whole life. And so, you know, when we, um, when we minister to kids, we don't think in terms of, you know, just eight years old and 18, we're thinking with a vision to what this child is like when they're 28, 38, 48, 58. We want to form a foundation that will sustain them, um, and that will last for, for a long time. And, um, and so that everything is pointed to the effort of helping a child have uh, a sustainable faith so that when they go out into the world, um, you know, when they encounter arguments against Christianity, when they have a tragedy in their life, when they have a season where they don't feel God's presence, uh, when they have an atheist philosophy professor in college who's very persuasive, that they'll have the tools to be able to turn to the Lord and to trust him. And we recognize that. I don't think anyone has ever had, you know, a perfectly linear relationship with Christ. We understand that people have seasons of doubt or people have seasons where, you know, they kind of taste what the world has to have and they may not go to college for years. We, we understand we're not naive to think that, um, we're not naive to think that if we, you know, do X, Y, and Z, that every child will be attending church the first Sunday of college. I mean, we would love for that to happen. Um, and that's why we have such a long-term view. It, this, we believe that you know the Lord's word uh, and the gospel it never comes back void. So it, um, yeah, it never comes back void. So uh, so that's why we have this long-term view. We believe that seeds that are being planted are implanted in the heart of um, of that child, and when the Holy Spirit might bring them to fruition, that's that's contingent upon the timing of the Lord. That's his business. Um, but we're thinking about building foundations. And so I want to give you just a little bit of a historic snapshot about um, the spiritual climate uh, in the United States today. And so ministering to young people, like having formal youth ministries and children ministries and churches, it's actually a relatively new thing in, in the grand scheme. It, it's really only, churches really only had these kind of programs for about the last 70 years. And um, what you find is that uh, churches in the second half of the 20th century were spending a ton of money on youth ministry and children's ministry, and it was just an expectation. But no one was really asking the question, is this very effective? And so around the turn of the century, there were a number of studies and surveys to see, you know, are kids sticking? Are kids sticking with the church? So they, they made, you know, a, a very upsetting discovery. They found that about 70% of kids who were growing up in the church were not returning to church after high school. This is well documented. There were a number of surveys that were wide reaching. Um, and so then the second, um, that led them to have a second round of research where they said, why? Like, why is it that kids are not returning to the church? Why is it that we're being so ineffective with, um, so ineffective in uh, our discipleship of children? Um, because honestly, in some sectors, you could even argue that the church was repelling kids from Christianity rather than attracting them into the faith. So the second round of research looked at why. And there were, um, there were three primary factors um, involved. One, 
was um, the, the the first was uh, the churches were not doing anything to spiritually equip parents to sorry to equip parents to spiritually invest in their kids. So there was kind of a little league mentality where you know a, a family would think, all right, for my child's intellectual development, I'm going to send them to school for athletics, little league, and for spiritual, we're going to send them down to the church. And so churches weren't doing anything to communicate to parents or educate them uh, that, Hey, like this is a cooperative effort between the church and the home. Like we're, we're in this together. And then furthermore, they weren't giving parents any of the tools or resources they needed to, to just practically invest in kids. And the reality is you don't have to be, you don't have to have a seminary degree or, or be some rock star Christian to actually be really effective as a parent. Um, and investing in your child. And so we'll talk about that more as the podcasts go on. But um, but anyhow, so that was the first round. The second round of, uh, sorry, the second factor was intergenerational integration. That um, intergenerational integration, meaning that kids were being segregated from the life of the church. So they'd grow up in the nursery or and then children's chapel and then youth group or youth worship. And they had very limited opportunity to worship with adults, to serve with adults, to build relationships with people outside their peer group. So when they would go to college or go out into the real world, they, they wouldn't really have the kind of uh, tools to navigate going to church. There was a social barrier. They kind of felt awkward. And so that was, that was a big factor. And the final factor is uh, the, and by far the most influential was the theology of youth ministry, um, or just theology, honestly, of ministry to kids in general. In the, um, there was a major study, the study uh, on youth and religion, where they surveyed 2,000 people, and they, um, yeah, they surveyed 2,000 people, and they, uh, they interviewed 350 kids and they talked to them for about uh, 30 minutes a piece and asked them about their spiritual views. And what they found is what kids believed about Christianity was actually antithetical to just basic biblical or just basic Orthodox Christianity. Uh, the term they used to, uh, to describe and to encapsulate the, um, moralistic therapeutic deism is, um, moralistic, Therapeutic deism. So, moralistic therapeutic deism basically means that uh, kids, their first understanding of Christianity is that it's a set of rules. Uh, it's just a set of behaviors, and um, and so basically, you know, I, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cuss, uh, and they kind of thought that's it. You know, it's just some rules. The second, you know, part of that therapeutic is that kids kind of thought and believed that. Um, thought and believed that uh, the point of Christianity was to bolster their self-esteem and their their personal happiness. Um, and then the deistic is really sad. Kids believe that um, they, they believe that um, that basically God was just, you know, distant. God was not involved in their life. He was kind of a, you know, a watchmaker who kind of set things in motion and then took a step back. They did believe that God was like an ambulance service. You'd come in the case of an emergency, but otherwise you live a separate life. And so, you know, there's this, uh, it kind of makes sense if you think about the methodology to ministering to kids, you know, in, in the previous generation, the, the kind of standard 
way that people ministered to kids was try to attract them to the building or to the event or program by having lots of fun and playing games. Then the talks weren't really necessarily teaching from scripture. Uh, they were really more just life, life lessons, self-help on, you know, don't, don't, don't engage in dangerous behaviors and be nice. And then, uh, you know, there was not a whole lot about who God is. There wasn't a whole lot of biblical teaching or deep theology. So, you know, they, they just kind of had a, 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 a view of God that just kind of came to them through their experience rather than coming to them through scripture. And so anyhow, you know, when, when we think about that as a church, um, you know, we can see that the old models of ministering to kids are very, very ineffective in the previous generation. And we can also see that we must have a ministry that, that, that addresses those problems. We must tell kids the gospel of grace. We must let them know that the main message of Christianity is that, uh, is that Jesus died for their sins so that they can have a relationship with God, that God loves fallen, broken, sinful people. And he wants to bring them in for relationship. And he has brought Christ, sent Christ into the world um, to deal with that factor that separates us from him. And that is our sin. And so, you know, that, that God loves us apart from our performance. We want them to hear grace. And then secondly, we, we need, we want our kids to have a robust biblical worldview so that when they think about what is Christianity or they think about reality, they think about um, the narrative they live under, the, the, the Bible is what informs that, not just their own experience. And then it, it also, finally, it has to be a cooperation of the church and the family together. So we as a church, like the reason we're doing podcasts and things like this is to give parents the tools to spiritually invest in their kids. And so, you know, with that being said, I'm going to talk about these five pillars of gospel-centered ministry uh, to kids. And this is something that that comes out of the rooted ministry that was started at the Advent and um, that, you know, the Advent had a lot of authorship in the five pillars. But, you know, pillar one and and the next five lessons are going to kind of go more in depth with each one of these pillars. But number one is gospel centrality. Number two is theological depth through biblical teaching. Number three is partnership with parents. Number four is relational discipleship. And number five is intergenerational integration. And so the the rest of these podcast lessons are going to be going deeper into what each one of those pillars means um, and how it, you know, how it plays out and how it affects um, the way that you might minister to and relate to your kids spiritually. So this is episode one, thinking about, you know, gospel-centered ministry and our philosophy of ministry, and I hope this is helpful. And uh, our next episode will be gospel centrality. We'll talk about uh, that as a, a pivotal aspect of our ministry to kids. Uh, thank you. God bless you. And I hope this is helpful. 